You're listening to Talking in Circles, a series of conversations with Caspian, produced in cooperation with Triple Crown Records. I'm Mike Moschetto. This is episode three of the series, so if you're just jumping in now, you might consider pausing this one and going back to check out one and two. We've talked so far about the band's history, of course, and the somewhat novel production process of their new album, On Circles, which comes out this Friday, January 24th. I also briefly mentioned in the first episode when I was introducing myself that outside of this series, I also make a podcast, sometimes, called Sellin' Out, in which I interview bands and musicians about their relationship to the almighty dollar. You know, when the going gets tough, the tough call their boss to ask for an advance on next week's paycheck, that sort of thing. And the heretofore unspoken goal of making that podcast is that it might inspire you, the music fan, to reevaluate your relationship to the artists whose work means something to you through the sometimes uncomfortable prism of cash flow. And you'll notice that I have put the link to pre-order on Circles in the episode description, just mentioning that for no reason at all. But you see, even standard bearers of their genre, like Caspian, have to work day jobs to make ends meet when they're not on tour. So we talk about those jobs, as sexy or unsexy as they may be, as well as the ways their touring experience now contrasts with the early days and whether their vantage point from the top of the post-rock heap has had a tangible influence on their music. So here's part three of Talking in Circles, Conversations with Caspian, the Selling Out edition. I'd love to know how each of you, you know, keeps the lights on when you're not doing Caspian stuff. Uh, I do some administrative behind the scenes stuff for uh, one of my father's companies. He's kind of an entrepreneurial uh, general guy. And uh, I help him out with one of uh, his projects. And now I'm doing, I added a side second job with uh, Johnny over here, which is a nice little lead into what he does probably. Wow, you're Uh, good at this. (laughs) uh, I've been a, a carpenter for 18 years, uh, about now, I think. And I've got my own business, Twin Peaks Woodworks. And like Phil mentioned, I just had him on the last couple of weeks giving me a hand, which has been really incredible because I work alone a lot. So it's nice to have somebody else there, especially somebody with the uh, same kind of mind. But yeah, I've been doing uh, carpentry and woodworking for quite a bit of time. Just fell into it at around 20 years old, I think, something like that, up in Vermont. Place all your custom furniture orders now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so lucky to find something that I enjoy doing um, in addition to the music. Kind of carved your own path in a way for that. Yeah, yeah. I worked for a bunch of other companies for a long time, but then um, with with touring, it it just ended up having to be something where I needed to go out on my own just for the flexibility's sake. There's quite a bit of demand for it these days as people go to school more and going into the trades a little bit less. I think it's kind of neat to be on the younger side of that spectrum, you don't see a lot of it. Something I really enjoy. And, you know, I, I get to, you know, we need, you know, some sort of light fixtures for the light show for the band. And, I, you know, I can build the light fixtures or that's cool. Anything like that. So it, it, there's ways where the, the music thing and the building can cross over, whether it's like building a studio. I worked on um, Strange Ways Studios up in okay. Vermont uh, a little while ago or a decade ago. Um, <laughs> I mean, relative to. <laughs> yeah time itself yeah it's just some it's yeah very lucky to be able to do that and 
any any chance I can get to cross that over with uh, music stuff is is really pretty cool too. Yanni, I mostly bartend, and then I do some freelance photography and design kind of stuff. Do you bounce around a little bit in terms of bartending, or do you have one watering hole? <laughs> it depends on if we're on tour or not. Of to be honest, I mean, like taking off weeks at a time, I've definitely lost shifts at places and, you know. Got to do it. Yeah. Lose gigs, find new gigs. I live in New York, so there's always, there's a bar on every corner and they're all, and they're all pretty busy. Justin. I play in a couple other bands as well. And then beyond no, that. He, I, he said, how do you make money? Not, oh, how, <laughs> not how do you use more of your time? You can talk about how you spend money. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I thought you said, how, how do you keep the lights on? So I don't, I don't know. I thought you meant up here, not actually physical lights. Oh, I like that. I like that. That's good. Ooh, wow. How, yeah, how, do you nice. put, how do you put food on the table? Yeah. Not soul food. Um, no funny I, business. I, I, ma- I make food. I make pizza specifically. Oh, cool. So I work in the kitchen making pizza. Oh, I've been there. I yeah. delivered pizzas. So you and I were part of the same ecosystem for a yeah. while. <laughs> that was my actual first dream job as a kid because I watched a lot of Ninja Turtles. And I was like, if I could be that dude, Kino, no karate <laughs> and deliver pizzas, my <laughs> life would be set. And then I got a job delivering pizzas. I didn't get to do any karate. You have to kind of make your own way in the world, I find. I mean, I had a, I, before I was a radio professional, <laughs> I was a mailman. And a lot of people have said like, wow, that was my dream job growing up. And I have to really burst their bubble. It's yeah. fucking horrible. <laughs> um, Aaron, what do you do? Guitar teacher. You're still in the music biz in a way. Yeah. And then just, you know, like rock bands with kids, like school rock. And I've done some musicals and that kind of thing. So oh, right on. A bunch of random stuff. I actually mixed a record last year. Very nice. And is it like a freelance basis or you have like one um, employer? I teach out of a, a school? little school in Beverly called the Fabulous School of Music. Yeah, you that's... had one word to describe the Fabulous School of Music. It's fab. Not even a word. <laughs> Half a word. Calvin? Well, I made a number of financial blunders in my career so far. Right around the same time that we started this band, I bought a house right before the financial collapse. Uh, so kind of sabotaged my touring for a while then also got married and had kids and that also <laughs> sabotages a lot uh, of do you think they're going to listen to this do you think you should maybe choose a different word than blunders yeah, Cor- is going to be like so you're calling me a blunder that's pretty tight dad uh not, financially they're sidesteps shall we say they're different uh they're not blunders. set you on a different path yeah wow, sure. so Cor is so, going to listen to this and be like wow i'm just a sidestep a financial sidestep dad no um the reason kind of that we're a six-person band is because I don't tour and we started as a four-person band and then we started writing music as a five-person band and then we added another member and we started writing music as a six-person band and now we have backing tracks for one another. Is that kind of what got you onto playing weirder stuff like keys and, and like mandolin and whatever else you yeah, do? Yeah, I mean, I, there's four guys that play guitar, so it gets a little crowded. I mean, even though we listen to each other and make space for each other, it's. I just kind of wanted to reinvent what I did and not play guitar. So, uh, But to answer your question, I've kind of stopped touring for the most part. I get out here and there. And so I've been working at Starbucks since 1998. Wow. <laughs> which is 20, Lifer. 21 years ago. So I am a store manager. You got to tend to your shop. In my life, yeah. And do you guys who have non-music jobs, which is most of you, do you like that there's a barrier between work and play, or would you rather be doing music stuff for pay? 
uh, I got to think about that. Actually, I'm not sure. I, I think that I, I, I just, I mean, I've tried teaching guitar, and I don't. You know, Aaron is a very like he's a master at teaching because he's he listens very well. He just has a, a skill set that makes teaching you know a really smart smart call for him. I do not possess that stuff. I tried taking guitar lessons for you know a couple months, and I was just too ornery, and I was in, just did my own thing. So it's really hard for me to transfer that onto someone else. I mean, if I could run a venue or something, or I don't know, be involved in maybe anything involving, uh, I don't think I'd like to be a booking agent. I think that would be kind of rough. It's um, hard to make friends that way. Yeah. I don't think I'd make a very good manager at all. Um, <laughs> I've never really thought about it that way. I'm just resourceful. Like I have the thing for my father and then you know, I've done everything from what I'm doing with Johnny to driving airport, taxi, shuttle services and a whole bunch of different stuff that maybe I do want to get away from music when I'm not doing this. That yeah, might, I mean, I guess, be, I guess yeah. the reason that I ask is because it makes um, an antagonist out of the thing that you really want to enjoy. So was there a point when Caspian was intended to be like the sole source of income? Like, I just want to be on the road. I just want to be in the band and like, that's oh, how sure. I make my uh, money. Well, yeah, I mean, any band that, that sets sail on tour, like that's your end game. That's your goal. Like that's sort of your, your true north there. That's the north. That's what you want to ultimately accomplish. I mean, have you kind of crunched the numbers to see how far from that you are or like what it would take or I just look at, look at my bank account and (laughs) (laughs) it's, it's tough out there. It's it. Yeah. It's tough out there. Sure is. I think it's like just incredibly difficult to make a living off of music. Like, especially as a performing artist, like I feel like even bands that we would look up to probably don't make as much money as we imagine that they do. So we're just on the wrong side of the coin. All the money is in weddings. It's not a lie, but it's also kind of sad. I think it is kind of interesting because I feel like a lot of people are, even fans of our band, are kind of under the the misconception that just because you see a band on tour, that means that they're doing really well or, like, that's their full-time gig. Like, there's been times where I've been bartending where someone will, like, overhear that I play in a band or something, and they'll they'll be like, oh, you playing Caspian? I'm like, yeah, yeah, like... What are you doing doing here? And I'm like, I got to work. I don't know. (laughs) Shouldn't you be at the Ritz Carlton or something? Like Um, digging holes in the ground and someone walks by. Love your new record. (laughs) Uh, Monetizing creativity is like, is one of the hardest things in the world. I mean, music, photography, fine art, you name it. I mean, it's just, it's what kills the artist. It happens know. well after you're dead. And the more yeah, honest yeah. you are, then the harder it is to actually make money at it. Right. Probably. So I think we try to, I, I don't know, I, I try to see it from a, again, there's that, there's that balance, that line between sort of you know, chaos and order, so to speak, where I do often wonder, like if we were making a significant amount of money here uh, and this was the full-time gig, uh, what would our record sound like? Uh, what would happen if we fucked something up on stage? You know, would that sort of deflate like the energy that's still pushing this forward. Now we're not motivated just by like, yeah, if we just write write a great record and it sounds good, then maybe we'll be able to like you know survive off of this. That's never the thought. Like we we still want to we still want to be purveyors of our art form, and it, it's it's an interesting position to be in because we're not motivated strictly by just making money because that might not be a realistic possibility here. You know we've got to be honest about that. It could be who knows, but that's not what's sort of like pushing us forward. You know, the motivating force here isn't like, it's absolutely part of it. I mean, anyone who says it isn't and is on tour is 100% full of shit. But 
I don't. I, I think our maybe this is a sound, sounds pretentious, but like I think our records, there's still something underneath the music animating it here that is. Man, I was just on tour for five weeks, and now I'm back behind the bar, or you know, I'm back behind the computer, or I'm you know banging nails, or or whatever. It's the same trope as like talking about how comedians stop getting funny when they stop taking the bus. You know, like once they've yeah, made it, exactly, like, they get out of touch with what it was that made them funny in the first place. Mm-hmm. So like so much of what we put into writing music and making music comes from like life experience, not like good, bad, other, you know, it just, it all is part of self-expression. Our songwriting approach is predicated on what we've done prior. So if we have a song that's like, you know, from the last record we had, Sad Heart of Mine, for example, which is four minutes. Is it even four minutes? Yeah. Four-ish. But we're like, why don't we? Why don't we impose that parameter on this and see what happens? Uh, on this, you know, we're always we're always doing. If we've done this before, let's try not to do it again or repeat that. It's so it's informed by that much more so than, you know, if this has a, a, a hook, then maybe we could like sell this to a, a car commercial, or we could play it on Jimmy Fallon or something. That's where the real money is. Oh, it, it truly is, and we still haven't got one of those. What car commercial would you be in? <laughs> It's the most beautiful car. Luxury. It'd be an ad for my 1999 Toyota 4Runner. <laughs> it's rusting from the inside out. <laughs> On that note, maybe you guys could paint a picture for me of what the early days of Caspian looked like. You were booking your own tours, I'm, I'm supposing, yeah. and um, filling your van's tank out of pocket. Oh, man. Yeah, it was just so different. And of course, it's so easy to look back on that with like, you know, rose tinted lenses. But I was booking all those tours on MySpace. So we we first, we did a short tour in 2005 at the end of that year that we went down as far as Pittsburgh. I remember falling in love with touring on the way home from that. I remember being on 95 and it was just, you know, Cal, Vickers, Freddie and I, just no merch guy, no no one. And one of the the second van that I had bought, I bought like four different vans as like my main car. And that was the Green Monster, I think. That was the best fan. Yeah, and I remember coming back from Pittsburgh and texting some of my friends who were like, oh, you know, we're out at the bar. You guys have been gone for what feels like forever. We can't wait to have you back. And it was just like, I was listening to that Iron and Wine record, the first one. Creek Jane the Cradle. Yeah, and it just all sort of crystallized like real fast. I was like, this is the fucking best thing ever. Like I just went to some random city, met some cool people. It was great. And then so 2006, we did two extensive u.s tours booked all on myspace then that, we had, that was we had, a, we had a booking agent for our first u.s tour and then we made everywhere you were just networking and connecting with people yeah i mean they they got like pushed aside pretty quick because yeah. they just weren't they weren't busted well, we played that yeah that house show that we paid money to play basically yeah what that oh that's a story man that's, <laughs> yeah, that, maybe for another time but yeah, it was a wild one. Well, yeah, we we did that for 2006. Uh, that was the last year that Cal toured. So then 2007, we did pretty much the same thing. Another MySpace booked tour, full U.S. in the spring, full U.S. in the fall. Aaron came on board to play Cal stuff, so we were still a four-piece at that point. And, you know, Aaron's just such a – he's a bro, and he's a phenomenal musician, so we stayed in the band. Then we got Johnny on board to do Cal stuff so that Aaron was playing his stuff. That's how he expanded into a five-piece – and now, yeah, it was it was really different, but it was nice. It was wonderful, you know. I feel like every band is out here trying to do it. After enough time, they kind of develop some cost saving 
measures, right? Whether it's building bunks into the back of their van so they don't have to get a hotel room or like dumpster diving for a meal or, or even something as simple as, you know, practicing at home rather than renting a rehearsal space. Do you have any, any tips to share? Take every last beer and water out of the fridge at every venue, which will save you money the next day. <laughs> Put bottles of liquor on your Please throw them out them after like five days. <laughs> Justin, you want to talk about the taste case? I think that's one of the... That's an important part of tour, for sure. I need hot sauce on tour. Yeah. I know who to go to. I go to Justin. I say, Justin, I let we, me see your taste case. We, we all started bringing coffee on tour, and I started bringing hot sauces and spices and a cutting board and knives and a blender you can in a moving it. van <laughs> is it a like a pelican case and i <laughs> called it the taste case taste case <laughs> wow <laughs> yeah there's stuff like that there's also like you know instead of having like you don't rent a van like your car is a van like i mentioned earlier that was a big way that we saved a lot of money for a while um, we weren't like running from green vans at the time or like that was like our, I mean, there probably wasn't a green vans at the time. No, right? there, yeah, there definitely wasn't. But I think I remember like if we had to pay for renting a van on those first four or five years of touring, like we would have been out of there because it just would have drained us of all of everything, you know? And so now you guys are in hog heaven, right? You're in private jets. Rolling in the yeah, dome. I mean, we're now that Champagne. we're, ri- yeah, now that we're rich as fuck and fly everywhere. <laughs> I mean, you got a, a jewel encrusted chalice full of caviar <laughs> a green room now that now that we have a yip production we, have, we all have teslas yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. now i have now i have a tesla only eat green m&ms you got some yeah. real private stock shit in the taste case huh yeah that's what's up lifestyle upgrades aside from those of you who obviously live here in the boston area you have some members based i live in new york and <laughs> justin lives in denver how has that kind of shaped the experience of, of doing this band at the level that you are? Well, like Justin linked up, uh, when was that, man? Late 2017 or early 2018, right? January of last year. Like you're yeah. the new guy. Yeah. I'm just happy I'm not the new guy anymore. Oh, yeah. There it is. Everybody, everybody is for a while. Until you're well, not. You know, it was like we were talking about this four weeks over the course of one year for writing this record. I mean, we had to do that for this. We couldn't get together for three nights a week for six months and, you know, bang our head against the wall. So that informed how we wrote. It's, it, it was a collision of, like, it would be nice to really focus exclusively on music, and this is our only, really, the only way we can do it, period, now that we have, you know, we're sort of spread out and more remote. Yeah, actually, when we were writing and recording Dust, I actually moved up to Beverly, from New York to, to do that just because it was so intensive and we we're just playing three or four times a week. So it wouldn't have made sense. Sure. Um, sure. Sure. So definitely part of approaching this record in a different way had to do with me and Justin living nowhere near Boston. So we kind of, we picked this, a studio in Connecticut that a friend of ours owns radar studio. Uh, radar studio. Yeah. Just bunkered down for a week, just ate, slept and drank music. It was amazing yeah it was hard to get used to at first because you know we've been writing records a real certain specific way for you know 13 years but looking at it residually uh it's certainly it was just another piece of the uh doing it different puzzle you know and sure sure really did benefit well the, the record is clearly informed by that i think mm-hmm. when you listen to it and it's crazy because i at least personally I, there was no time where i was kind of burnt out on anything because the space, the sessions were kind of so spread out. So 
you know, a lot of times you're like, we would be playing three or four times a week. And by like, you know, week five in a row, you're like, holy shit, I can't believe I have to go to rehearsal tonight. Like I just worked all day. I just had, I just dug a deep know. hole for Johnny Ash. Yeah. I just dug a six foot <laughs> hole with Johnny. Oh, was, by the way, by the way, yeah, Phil, right. Phil actually took my job. I, I used to work with Johnny when I lived in Beverly. Yeah. Yeah. So for the first time ever, I remember leaving like radar studios and being like, holy shit. Like I wish we could just do this all year round. Even when we left the other will studio and Contra Hawken, I was like, can we just record another record? And like, I, there's been other times where I've recorded records where I'm like, so burnt out on it at the end where I'm like, okay, I'm good for the next couple of years. But I think all of us, when we were leaving, it was like, we we're all really sad. We're like, can we just do this and record here all the time? Like yep. when is the soonest we can book some other time here and come back and work with will and, yep. you know, do a new record. We'd get together and we'd all make dinner together. We'd go out to the grocery store and kind of have our dinners, like and take a break at this time every day. And we had a schedule set up and it was just something that I think brought us uh, even closer together as a band, even though we've known each other for so long, just it, it's been, and we've toured together. Right, but yeah, it's kind of like being on tour, but but writing in that in that kind of way was something so new to us. And I remember the excitement in the rooms when when things would click, and listening to what we had just recorded in the control room, and I, I, just, the memories of making this record through and through would be some of the most fond ones I'll ever have. Mm. How is the experience? Traveling from Denver to Massachusetts or Connecticut or what have you to, how's that been? Was that kind of what you envisioned when you signed up for this? Yeah, I mean, I've already been touring with them for almost 10 years. So I've been flying up here, flying to Europe with them. Oh. So, Justin yeah. did a light, lighting design for us forever, merchandise, jack of all trades stuff. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I've, I've been to Boston so technically, a million Technically, times. he's not the new guy, but <laughs> since I don't want to be the new guy anymore, now he's the new Fair guy. Fair enough. He can just, be... It's a new rhythm section. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Lighting design, though. Talk about that. Where do I begin? How do you get into something like that? Meshuga. <laughs> Fair. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I, the amount of times after a, a set that someone comes up to me and is like, man, your lights were incredible, and I'm just point him in this guy's direction it's 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 really impressive and now we're running to a situation where he's playing drums so he's got the task of uh automating it figuring yeah. it out he's actually yeah. doing every a ton time, of programming it's time, really cool a way to figure it out. no one can just have 15, one job in this 20. band um would you say that it's gotten harder or easier to keep this operation running or does it kind of feel the same um I, it's probably harder yeah keep um, more balls in the air not necessarily in a bad way but you know it's People get older, and it's just, it, it's 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 tough sometimes. You know, it's worth it. I think everyone has way more responsibilities now. Yeah, so it's a lot harder to pull away from those. It's more Momentum it, is a big yeah. It, well, it's more thing. rewarding when it ultimately works out. Yeah, but there's just a lot of wiggle room there where it's it, it can be tough, but um, not soul destroying by any stretch. You know, is it harder in the sense that like as you play bigger and bigger rooms, you kind of have to assemble a bigger team. Like you have to have a booking agent. Maybe you have a tour manager. Maybe you have like someone doing front of house. There's all these hangers on cutting into your profit margins. Yeah. yeah and we, helping. Yeah. We've, we have, well, I guess they help, but you it's, know. it's really just, it's too much. If you want to be successful, it's just too much stuff to do. It takes a village. Everything. It's a, it's a full-time job to do all of those jobs to, especially we're in the, you know, we're in the midst of a record rollout. Even with the amount of stuff everyone is doing, it's just 
there's still so much stuff, so much logistics. You we're, know? we're grinding for sure, yeah. but yeah, you got to like you get. There's just a division of labor that becomes increasingly clear the longer you do this. That there are people who are you know good at playing bass, good at, people who are good at playing drums, people good at managing bands, people good at booking them, and so it goes. You know, it's a bit hubristic, I think, to think you can do it all yourself especially with the overhead that you start accumulating over time. A lot of the times too, though, it's about leveling up what you're doing. You know, it's, you go from having, you know, Joe Schmo doing your lights at each venue who doesn't give two shits about who you are or what you sound like, doesn't know what you sound like before you get to the venue. And then we had someone like Justin doing lights for us who was knew every single note for every single song and knew where, you know, the strobe light was supposed to hit and where it's not supposed to hit. And, uh, you know, you have to pay for those things. You, yeah. I you mean, if you want to, if you want to maintain yeah, that I level mean, of if, excellence, if you right? want to, if you want to keep getting better and keep making people's experience better. Yeah. You have to just keep leveling up. And most of the time that's not free. We were, uh, managerless for like a year and a half and we just got new management this summer and I can't believe we, did that for so long without it almost you know just even though you weren't quite as active i mean just man if we had tried to go into releasing this record without them it would have been a shit show i, th I think <laughs> to be honest you know like they've just really helped just pull so many things together that just slips your mind or whatever i mean there's only so many things that any one person can focus on at any one time i think even you know even five or six people can have the same blind spot yeah, 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 for sure. We're real lucky, of course, to be working with Triple Crown on the third record here. I mean, Fred is a really supportive guy. He he has enabled our vision here from day one since we started working with him. That's genuinely like not kissing ass. Like we're genuinely grateful for people like Fred, uh, for people like our management, um, for people like Will, for for every you know we we surround ourselves with good people. I think that's the sign of a of a healthy good band. That was Phil Jamieson, Aaron Burke-Moran, Yanni Zubkovs, Justin Forrest, Johnny Ashburn, and Calvin Joss. They are Caspian. Their new album, On Circles, is out this Friday, January 24th, via Triple Crown Records. If you appreciate any of the music or conversation you've heard in this series, I urge you to support them using the links I've provided in the show notes, where you can also check their tour dates, see if they're coming to a city near you. I've also put some links to the Selling Out podcast. If you want to check that out, I would appreciate it, though it's not necessary. But do check out that new Caspian record. If you stream it and you find yourself going back to it over and over again, order a physical copy or pay for a download, and maybe these guys won't have to go out and dig holes or sling drinks anymore. Although getting recognized in your normie life is kind of fun, too. This episode was recorded at the studios of Pod 617 in Westwood, Mass., produced and mixed by me, Mike Moschetto, Thanks for listening. Come back for the next and final installment of Talking in Circles, Conversations with Caspian.